0: Hello, this is Kurt Frankum, and many of you know me as the host of the Leading Saints podcast. But Leading Saints isn't just a podcast. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization, and we strive to create quality leadership content for Latter-day Saints in order to help them be better prepared to lead. With this mission comes a lot of expense, and we need additional help to continue our efforts in the coming year. In order to exchange value for value, we have created the Core Leader Community. To become a core leader all you have to do is become a subscribing donor which might be a monthly recurring donation or even a quarterly or yearly donation. For those who become a core leader through a subscription donation, you have access to our core leader library, which includes additional recorded interviews not available to the general audience, access to all virtual summits, discounts on products and conferences, and access to a private core cast feed where you will hear additional leadership thought and behind-the-scenes happenings. We are a community of leaders making this happen, and we need you a part of this mission. Text the word LEAD to 474747 in order to become a core leader today, or visit leadingsaints.org slash donate. Welcome back to the Leading Saints podcast, 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 podcast. My name is Kurt Frankum and I am your host once again. You know, I've been thinking about, uh, you know, I always say I'm your host, but uh, we are growing our board of directors, which I'll, uh, will be announcing those details soon, probably by the time this is released, but I hope to have more voices on the Leading Saints podcast. I love doing this, but I also don't want to become the Leading Saints mascot, and so I want different perspectives and hosts and things like that in the long term, and uh, so, I don't know, what do you think about that? Do you want me to do every last episode of Leading Saints, or should we mix it up with different voices and different hosts? Something to think about. Probably won't happen in the immediate future, but, you know, at some point, I'm not going to live to 150, so at some point, I'm going to have to pass the baton to someone else. Anyways, if you are new to Leading Saints, you are in the right place. We are an organization, a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping Latter-day Saints be better prepared to lead, and one way we do that is through the podcast, and so we have uh, 350 or so podcasts that uh, we've produced that have helped various people in various ways and also thousands of articles that can all be found at leadingsaints.org. And we encourage you to be a part of that and even more in our core leader, our core leader program that, uh, our core leader community that has helped even more leaders in different ways. And so if you go to leading slash core leader, you can find more information about that. But in this episode, I am, this is a good one, folks. I mean, this is one of those, I knew it would probably be good, but it actually was incredible. And I went down to Provo, Utah and had the opportunity to interview Diljeet Taylor, who is the head coach of the women's cross country team. Now, the way I, this interview happened is I happen to be on Cougarboard, cougarboard.com. Shout out to my, my friends over there at cougar Board it's an interesting place at times. And uh, they posted an article on there that the Runner's World, the magazine publication, had written about uh, Diljeet Taylor and her coaching style. And as I read through this, I thought, man, she sounds like an awesome leader. I would love to interview her. Well, I found out that she coaches at BYU, but she's that doesn't necessarily mean she's a Latter-day Saint because she's not. And that's cool. And I'm always uh, interested in leadership perspectives, sometimes outside of the context of the church but well I guess I should say individuals who are outside of the membership of the church but still understand the context of the church right coaching at BYU you you get that and so this is going to be a phenomenal interview for young women and young men leaders especially with the new program with the the quadrant and setting goals and doing these things you know that that can be daunting and she gives some tips and principles that could so much help you as a leader to do that. And so listen in. This is a good one. Here's my interview with Diljeet Taylor, the head coach of the BYU women's cross country team, which almost won a national championship. They came in second. So national championship is coming up. I'm sure of it. Today, I have the opportunity to be at the beautiful campus of Brigham Young University with Diljeet Taylor. How are you, Diljeet? Good. How are you? Very good. Now you are the, uh, uh, give us your background. Who are you and why are you here at BYU?
1: Well, I'm the women's cross country coach at BYU, and I came here four years ago after Ed Stone contacted me when the previous coach had retired.
0: Uh-huh. So, how did you get into? I, I assume you've you've been a runner your whole life, or that you?
1: Yeah, I ran for Cal State Santa Cruz, Division Two in California, and I had the opportunity to run for the Nike Farm team under Coach Gagliano, that trained up at Stanford it was the Olympic development team. Hmm. And in the time that I trained under him, he noticed something about me that showed him I could potentially get into the coaching world. And so he kind of put a bug in my ear that it would be a good profession. And prior to that, I just wanted to go into teaching, got my teaching credential. And so at that same time, my college coach at Cal State Stanislaus was going to go into administration. She contacted me and let me know that in a couple of years the job was going to come open and she would love for me to come coach there. And I think it was just perfect timing. So I coached at Menlo for a couple of years just to get my feet wet. And then I moved to Turlock, back to Turlock and started my coaching in 2007.
0: So was it a quick love? I mean, you you enjoyed coaching right away?
1: Yeah. It's such a good transition when you're an athlete for so long, it's tough for athletes to then step away from the sport and enter the real world. And I feel like I have had this great opportunity to always be with the sport. I've never left it. And so for me, it was just the next step.
0: Yeah, cool. And so you you get an offer to come to Brigham Young University. And what did you know about BYU at that point?
1: I had watched Jimmer play okay. basketball. <laughs> awesome. So I knew that and I had done a couple workouts here. My now in-laws live in Lehigh. And so we had come to Utah a couple of times and I had trained here on the indoor track while I was finishing up my post-collegiate running. So I was a little bit familiar with it, but that was really the extent of it. Yeah.
0: So was there, I mean, obviously there's a culture here. I mean, being a religious school and and, um, obviously a a dominant faith, what, I mean, what was that experience of transitioning to working at Brigham Young University?
1: Well, obviously I wouldn't have been able to do it had I not been comfortable with the standards and, and actually I think I embrace them because I, I find a lot of value in them and there's a lot of similarities to how I grew up to, to the culture here and having in-laws who it's always been a part of a little bit of what I've known So I was a little bit comfortable with it. I think it would have been really difficult coming in as a complete outsider, Yeah. but I haven't noticed too many different things. I feel like I fit in really well and it is, it's, there's a lot of similarities even though it looks like it's not, you know, everyone that meets me. Yeah. I can't believe you're not a member of the church. Like (laughs) well, I have the same standards. So
0: yeah. So it works out. Yeah, it works. It works great. That's cool. So I, I mean, I'm not, I get. I'm a runner for the most part. I mean, I, I go to the gym, I run, I'm not like a competitive runner by any means, but help us understand like the, the sport of cross country, like, cause a lot of people, the lay person can look at and be like, uh, the way you coach them is say, just run faster. Right? Like, <laughs> so how would you describe the, the competition of cross country?
1: Well, I think there's a couple of components to, to coaching cross country. And obviously one is aerobic fitness is, is really important. And that is just run and uh-huh. Kind of trying to figure out each individual, how much mileage they can handle, and then putting together a plan for each individual based on speed work. And that goes into play. How many miles can they run? And then the mental component of it too. So it's a little bit physical and a lot mental in, in order for many people who have done 5Ks or even went out and tried to run a mile or two miles. It's, it's pretty mental, Mm -hmm. but these women are competing at such a high level and they've been doing it through high school. There's a ton of talent already there. It's really just developing an individual plan and then and then really empowering them and believing in them. I think that that's, that's what's made our program really stand out over the last four years is, is we've taken a group of women and I've helped them chase these dreams that they've said they wanted to chase. And I've just believed in them. And yeah. a lot of success has happened
0: because of that. Yeah, that's cool. And and over these four years, I mean, you've seen some success. I mean, maybe to explain where BYU was when you got here to where they are now in their cross country.
1: Yeah. So early 2000s, BYU had a ton of success. They had won four national championships. And then prior to me coming in 2016, the highest finish was 19th in the NCAA for the decade before I got here. So for 10 years, which after about 10 years, you know, they had a little bit of success with some individual events in track. But as far as cross country goes, they weren't really nationally relevant anymore during that, that mm-hmm. decade. And so my first goal to come in was like, okay, I want to bring this team back to national relevance. and I wasn't expecting for it to happen as quickly as it happened. The first year we ended up having a 27th preseason ranking and we got 10th. So to be top 10, it was already, wow. okay, we're starting to be in the conversation. And then it was just momentum building it from there with the same group of women.
0: Yeah. And in over the last few years, you've finished second in the country. Is that right? Or- yeah.
1: So we went 10th, 11th, 7th, second. Wow. It's been a storybook. So next year's yeah.
0: one. Well,
1: we just, yeah, we start all over and and see what we can do.
0: When does the season, how does the season work for cross country?
1: We start in August. We report for cross country training camp in August and then the national championships are in November. Okay. And then from there we go to indoor season and then outdoor season. It's a bit of a year round three sports.
0: Yeah. Cool. So what's the dynamic like as far as, you know, obviously I'm a BYU football season take a holder. I mean, these programs are, you know, they're, they're huge and basketball's big. And how does that. What is it? I mean, would you say that's a smaller program? Obviously, it's a smaller program, but what's that dynamic light in the sports department?
1: Well, one thing that I really enjoy about being here at BYU is I think, yes, I understand. I'm also a sports fanatic, so I understand the importance yeah. of football and basketball, and I'm a huge BYU fan with both of those sports. But our administration does a really good job of valuing all of the sports. And so I Feel like we get a great amount of attention and support from tom bryan and liz uh-huh. and we feel just as important as football and basketball
0: yeah I, i've noticed i mean just the, the leadership of tom Holm. i mean he does, does a good job of, of recognizing you know I, I follow him on twitter and he's always you know shouting out the women's soccer or the women's cross country or whatever it is and and uh, making sure they get recon, recognition right
1: yeah and that's just not an outward notion on his part it, it's actually really genuine and he's always texting prior to to big competitions he's come to him and Liz have both come to every single preseason cross-country training camp since oh, wow. I got here. Since year one, they come and do a devotional. And I think it's really important for our our women to feel that support. And we understand we're not a revenue-generating sport. And You're so, right. <laughs> yeah, we get that. But the support is, is real. We yeah. came back from NCAAs and had two billboards on the freeway coming uh-huh. back. So we, cool. we know that we're valued here.
0: Yeah, that's great. So uh, help us understand the dynamics as far as your leadership and, you know, how many girls are on the team and, and, uh, how that works.
1: So I have 35 women right now, hmm. which is a big group. Some of those women don't compete in cross country. They're more middle distance athletes, but they're still under my umbrella. I train 800 up to the 10 K for indoor and outdoor. So those women, I recruit them and they're part of our, we call it a sisterhood. Mm-hmm. They become part of this sisterhood, but we travel usually 14 throughout cross country season. and. At the end, we take 10 to NCAAs, seven of those women toe the line at the cross-country championships, five score and seven make the team. That's
0: what you're allowed to compete. And then how many of those are scholarship uh, runners?
1: So we don't, we're we're a little bit different and we can give a little bit here and a little bit there. So I I would probably say we've got more than 70% of those women are scholarship athletes of some sort, whether it's books or books and housing or a little bit of tuition. So we just kind of get creative with with separating those out.
0: Yeah, that's great. So I'm curious, you know, uh, you're probably aware as far as the dynamic works in, in uh, church leadership, everybody's a lay leader. They're not paid. It's all volunteer. And, and especially, you know, a lot of leaders work with young single adults or or young women. And as you know, I, I mean, again, I'm I'm obviously never been a, a leader of, of young women since I'm a man, but I mean, there, there's a lot of dynamics there. Well, Some may describe it as there's a lot of drama that's involved or, you have to be sensitive to certain things or others. And uh, there's this recently, uh, Runner's World interviewed you and created an article. This is where I I've originally found this article on Cougar Board that uh, they posted there. Eight unusual things that Diljeet Taylor does that makes her top a, a top NCAA coach. So where if you were in front of a bunch of brand new leaders of young women or young single adult women, where would you start with them as far as leading that type of, of dem- demographic?
1: Well, I'm really passionate about just empowering our women and that looks different i get to do it through sport right yeah. so these these leaders of young women are going to be doing it through other activities but i get to do it with running and i think that when you empower them and you're an advocate for them and you're setting a good example and you're really teaching women to not compare themselves to each other and and really we talk a lot about comparison being the thief of joy and being happy for someone else's success those are hard things for for women to do especially in a competitive setting hmm. but they set you up for for really being able to have really great relationships after running. And, yeah. and that's really what it's about is being happy for someone else that's successful. It doesn't take anything away from our own success. And so we talk a lot about that. We also talk a lot about being building each other up. And that's, that's really important. I think self confidence and motivation, all of that stuff, women need it. And it looks differently for each one of the women on your team. But overall, if you ask my women, and actually I had it at Stanford a couple of years ago. We had a great showing. We, we were winning almost every heat. It just kind yeah. of worked out that way. And, and a male coach came up to me after towards the end of that meet and said, wow, what? You've got the secret to coaching women. Look at all the success you're having. Like, how are you doing it? It's like, well, you just have to make them strong. And he said to me, so do you lift in the summertime? Do You guys <laughs> do a lot of off season lifting. Are you in the weight room? in season two. And I just looked at him, no, strong on the inside, uh-huh. right? It's just building them up on the inside. And that's the same thing. Leadership is all about building up the people around you. And that's what makes you successful yeah. in any company, any, you can ask any CEO, it, it leadership is just about putting really good people around you and, and building them up so that they can be the best version of themselves.
0: Yeah. So you talk about, you know, building strength and helping them be strong, you know, strong heart, I guess you could say. And and then also avoiding just comparing and being happy. So what does that, what's the application of that look like? I mean, do you just mention it a lot or what's the day-to-day look like? We talk stimulate? about it
1: and it's a reminder. It has to be a reminder because every day they come in and they run a workout and they get a time for what they're doing for their reps. And, and when they race, they get a time and it's easy. Easiest comparison is comparing two times to each other. And so instead of doing that, we try to have an individual plan for each athlete so they can compare themselves to who they were last week or last oh, okay. year. And I do a lot with writing note cards and letting the women know I believe in them. And, you know, it's really about like, come tell me what your dreams are. Hmm. Come tell me what your dreams are and what your goals are so that they can become my goals and my dreams for you as well. And then really helping them make those come true through workouts or setting them up for, you know, really good, important races. We're leaving for New York on Thursday and we've got some some good like competition that we'll see there and really making the women believe that they're that they belong and that they're ready to take that next step. So it's a process. There isn't one or two things that I do yeah. that are the secret. It's it's just more kind of evolves throughout their yeah. career. They are stronger as their seniors than they are when they're freshmen. It takes that four-year process to really get them to that place.
0: Yeah. It sounds like, I mean, you just stay engaged in that relationship throughout the time and it's not always about running, right? Or the next meet or that type of
1: thing. No. And, and the, the better they get, it becomes less about running, if mm. that makes sense. We went five, six, seven in the country with three individuals, who are really different as women and they've all had such struggles one of them Erica Burke Jarvis had a baby a couple of years ago and came back after that her story looks way different than Courtney Wayman who had a couple of injuries that were setbacks for her and her story looks a little different than Whitney Orton who went through her struggles and so all of them they all share a similarity with their passion with wanting to do the best that they can be but they also, they make each other stronger because they're so different, but yet they have this common goal. And for me, it's just finding out what that is and having that relationship with them, where they feel comfortable to come in here and talk about some of the hardships they're going through so that I can help them get to the being the best that they can yeah. be. So yeah, it, it is through relationships. I think that's the most important part is it, like I said, the better they get, it becomes less about
0: the running. Huh. That's interesting. So you talk about like the dreams, that these girls have, like, how do you, what's the process of finding out what these dreams are? And then how do you always keep that, you know, on the surface so that that's the focus and vision?
1: Yeah. I talk a lot about it. We just had a meeting a couple of weeks ago and I talked a little bit about like, if you haven't come and shared your dreams with me, I don't know what you're trying to do here. And, and I want to know, have you lost that fire? Do I need, what do I need to do? How can I help you? And so I, I listened to a talk somewhere where they said the five most important words you can say to someone is, how can I help you? So I always try to remember that, Like, OK, I need to know what these women need from me so I can help them. And so, yeah, they come in, they talk about their dreams. And then I remind them that if I have to motivate you for something that you told me you wanted, that was your dream, then, then something's wrong. So as they share their dreams with you and they become You're accountable. Once you, once you say something out loud, you become accountable to that. And they hold themselves to a standard of these are the things I need to do to accomplish this dream. And, and they're, yes, it's running, but it's also sleeping and eating healthy and making good social choices. And so once they start holding themselves accountable and they start seeing a little bit of success, you get the Mm buy-in. And once you have the buy-in, the rest is kind of history.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. So are these dreams typically related to running or is it someday I want to start a business or I mean, do they vary like yeah, that? It's,
1: it's mostly about running and they'll talk a little bit post collegiately what they want to do. But right now, when you're 18 to 22 years old, this is all you see is, yeah. is right here. You, and, and so they some of them don't have plans to work after college. They want to get married and start families. And and then and that's great. That's their dream. And I'm going to help you know support that dream but some of them want to go on to grad school or write a book and and just just really being that person that hey yeah you can do that and the way that you teach them that they can do whatever they set their mind to is they have these goals in running and when they reach those goals in running that applies to every other goal that they will set in their life that's why it's such a it's such an important thing for me that they achieve those dreams and goals because i think it sets you up for for always going for it and you may fail we didn't win a national championship this year. And some might look at that as like, oh, you guys didn't win, but we won. I had a national championship team. You run that race 10 times and it's a different outcome because those women believed they could do it.
0: Yeah. So I would imagine a lot of these dreams are, uh, you know, related to running that I want to, you know, shave this much time off of my, this race or that race. Is that typically? Yeah. I want to be an
1: all American. I want to be a school record holder. I want to make it to NCAAs. I want to PR, you know, be, have a personal record and, So yeah, it's more about personal growth or for the team aspect, which in cross country, it is, we wanted to get on the podium. And that was something that these freshmen four years ago said that was a goal of theirs. And I said, okay, before you're done here, you'll have a chance to get on the podium. And that was a lofty goal because we hadn't even started our freshman season and we weren't even a top 10 team. We were ranked, you know, in the twenties, but I was going to give them a chance to chase that dream
0: Hmm. and make them believe
1: that they could do it.
0: Uh, That's great. And I would imagine, I mean, you get some. Some variety in the different dreams and goals that they have. So, how do you, what do you do as a coach in order to bring that all together so that you're successful as a team, not necessarily as a bunch of individuals?
1: We talk a little bit about what the outcome is. And so, I, I guess our journey isn't always about the outcome. Yes, I want to know their dreams so that I know what their end goal is, but we don't focus on those every day. We just focus on the journey because I sometimes think that we have been so attached to the outcome that we lose sight of of the process and finding joy in, in getting to do this. And so, yes, we talk about their dreams because I want to know what they are, but it's not something that we focus on or dwell on every single day. It's just more like, okay, let's take care of what we need to in the journey so that we can then get to the end result. And this year we actually took another step. We were so silent about what we were trying to do. It's like, okay, let's work hard in silence and let success be our noise. So we're not even going to talk about it. I mean, a couple interviews that we had gotten prior to NCAAs is like, hey, the podium's wide open. We think that you guys might have a shot. BYU women might have a shot to get back on the podium. Well, we already knew we wanted to do that, uh-huh. but we want to take a step further. We want to have a chance to win, but we didn't say it out loud. We just, we said it amongst ourselves once or twice. And then we really just kind of kept it to ourselves and focused on the journey.
0: Yeah. So the journey being just, uh, obviously you have these independent dreams and goals, but you're you're talking about the journey of look look how far we've come, look what the opportunities are ahead of us.
1: Yeah. The journey is just what we're doing right now. The day to day of coming to practice every day and, and showing up and doing all the things outside of running. It's amazing what these athletes, how disciplined they have to be with sleep and eating and really just being so devoted to this. So we focus on those little small things that, that make that that outcome more attainable.
0: Yeah, that's great. You mentioned in, in the article mentions, well, as far as your note cards, is there a system to this or is I, obviously this is an intentional thing you do as a coach. So break that down. Like what, what does that look like and how does it work?
1: Yeah. So I think it was my freshman year in high school. I got a card from my high school coach and I had made it to sections, which was a big deal for, for a freshman. And I just remember she wrote me this card and and it had all these great things about how proud she was. But at the bottom it said, I believe in you. And it was so powerful to me. And I always remembered it. So when I got into coaching, I decided to start writing individual note cards before every race for every athlete. And I didn't know how long I was going to be able to hold true to it because it is, it's a commitment. Yeah. And then I would get a little more creative. So they start out as just basic cards that you buy. And then as the season progresses or the meets have more meaning, they become personalized with pictures and quotes and yeah, I get a little crafty, um, but yeah, that's it's basically just to give them a little some words of affirmation and, and to let them know I uh-huh. believe in them. Just a little extra touch, and it's worked out so well that I don't dare ever not write yeah. a note card. <laughs> so, so yeah, I usually just a lot a couple hours throughout the week of a meet, and and sometimes I procrastinate, and so I'm up till two a.m. writing note cards, but I never ever
0: don't do the note card. Yeah. So in in a typical season, how many meets are you looking at?
1: For cross country, we'll have like seven and track is a lot more. It just depends on some race in everyone, some don't race in everyone, but I've written hundreds and hundreds and
0: hundreds of cards throughout my. Wow. That's awesome. And, And I love this principle because as far as like establishing a culture in amongst a team or organization, like I'm sure there's some nights where it's like, okay, it's two in the morning. I've really got to get some sleep for this meet tomorrow. But like, you know, that like, that is so core to the culture you've developed that there's no way you would skip it.
1: No, I can't skip it. And I, if I'm really prepared, I'll do a really good job of like, I'm going to write five today. I'm going to write five tomorrow. I'll write another five the next day. But again, we're leaving on Thursday and I haven't written any this week. I only have nine athletes that I'm traveling but, and I never let them see me do them.
0: Uh-huh. So yeah, it's I not something never, on the bus that you're doing. Nope, or the I will plane never or... do
1: it in front of my family gets it like, Oh, mom's writing <laughs> note cards again. Um, but I will never let my team see me make them or write them. So yeah. I have to be strategic about when I can do them, which is yeah. usually late nights in hotel rooms or, you know, at home once my kids go to bed.
0: Oh, that's interesting. And I would imagine this probably has, has this gone to other parts of your life? I mean, do you write notes to your kids at times or, or I don't
1: know. I'll leave them little cute notes, but nothing like this. This is just, yeah. I actually do try to write thank you cards to people, just showing gratitude. We talk a lot about that in this program too, just really making sure that we express gratitude to those around us. And so I'll do that occasionally, but no, most of my note cards are to my athletes yeah. and they've started reciprocating it. So at the end of a season, I'll get a box of
0: cards and it's
1: pretty meaningful.
0: Oh, that's cool. That's awesome. And I'm sure, I mean, they don't, I'd be shocked if any of them threw them away. I mean, they're, they're probably girls do that, right? I mean, they keep them. And then, yeah, I
1: think some of the basic ones, they probably maybe Chuck, but the, the ones with their pictures on them and all uh kinds of time that has gone into them with ribbons and glitter. I think they've probably kept them in a box.
0: Nice. So you're a little bit of a scrapbooker. I mean, you you still fit that in. Yeah.
1: I wouldn't really describe myself that way. (laughs) Right.
0: That's great. Uh, So, and you, and this sort of relates to the overall message as far as the sisterhood that you try to establish? I mean, is that just the overall culture you're trying to go for or or maybe speak more into that?
1: Yeah, I think women have to stick together. Mm -hmm. And so when you create this empowering sisterhood of women who are all coming together for some sort of common purpose, but also to kind of be there for each other and, and it's about relationships and, and that's what this sisterhood is. The BYU run for her, it's, it's run for your teammate, run for the, the girl next to you. Run for the little girl that fell in love with the sport, be the woman that you needed as a girl, just all of those things. And I don't know, I don't look at it as being a feminist or or anything in that way. It is really just empowering these women and and knowing that they're going to go out into the world and have a chance, an opportunity to do the same with other young women. And I have some of my former athletes that are that are coaching now. And it makes me really proud when they're giving back. Um, and these women will do it, whether it's with a church calling or with their own daughters, they're going to have the opportunity throughout their life to to be an example for someone. And and if they can be a strong example because they've been strengthened by their experience here at BYU, then the world will be better for yeah, it. That's cool.
0: I wouldn't guess. I mean, other coaches or leaders of, of women or anybody would just say, well, that's sort of implied. I mean, we're a team, like we're we all put on the same jersey. Of course, we're a sisterhood. But how do, how do you get past that, just that, that assumption of sisterhood to really feel like, wow, this is a sisterhood?
1: Yeah, you really have to emphasize how important it is to genuinely care about the person next to you. And it was obvious to us this year. I talked a lot about our locker room, which people think is, is a little odd that I talk about that. But you understand when we send seven or 10 women to a meet, there's 20 that are staying back home. Hmm. It's easy for those 20 to feel left out and not be a part of it in our locker room this year did such an amazing job of being involved. They would send silly videos. So the locker
0: room is who stays behind. Yeah. That's
1: that's our locker room. They would send these silly videos and they would write messages on our, our group me and they just, they were part of it and Mm -hmm. they were there with us at NCAAs. And when we came back, we had a team meeting and I held up that trophy and said, Hey, this is, this is for all of us. And you don't get that same feeling. It's easy to have feelings of being left out and not a part of it because you weren't there on the line. And so I think the women, and that's not, you know, the thing about culture is, yes, the, the coach has the vision, right? I have the vision of what I want my team to look like and how I want the women to to behave, but it has to come to life from the bottom up. And so they they brought that sisterhood to life and, and they continue. And now as the freshmen come in, they see the examples of the juniors and seniors have left and they are going to fill those shoes and it's the system's in place now. So my work is really minimal. It's, it's, they've already established it.
0: And that's a beauty about like establishing culture, right? I mean, there's probably a lot of work when you came to this job the first few years and, or, you know, the, the sophomores and juniors are sort of trying to figure you out and then they're like, Oh, okay. And then, then it just sort of takes over and there's less of that day to day push that you have to do.
1: Yeah. And I think when women leave this program, I always say you have to leave your legacy has to be bigger than the records and the All-Americans that you're taking with you. It has to be about who you were as a person and what kind of teammate were you? And so I, I really try to preach those things to them because it is really important. And so I think they have taken that. Like Even if I'm not an All-American, I'm not scoring for this team. What do I bring to it? There's there's a spot for it. Not everyone is going to be a national champion that comes here. So everyone has a role and it's really just fulfilling your role to the best of your ability.
0: Mm, that's Awesome. So if I were to interview that locker, that group of locker room girls who are staying behind uh, maybe more often than not, what would they share to like another team who wants to establish the same type of thing? Like what advice would one locker room give to a, a less experienced locker room as far as how to do that effectively?
1: I think they would talk to them just a little bit about being happy for realizing it's something bigger than yourself. And you have to be happy for something that's bigger than yourself and understanding the vision that these women have. We sat at cross country camp and I said, okay, we're not going to talk a ton about our goals, but let's at least have an idea of what you guys are trying to accomplish this year. It was silence in that room. as Everyone was scared. They, they didn't want to say it out loud. And so Emma, one of our, she's a fifth year senior, she said, aren't y'all trying to win a national championship? And she's out of cross-country <laughs> eligibility. Um, it kind of broke the silence. And that's kind of what it is. The women who are left behind, they know this is what our team is trying to do. And they're a part of it. They're at practice every day. They're they're grinding with these women. And sometimes you don't even know what seven or 10 are going to make the travel. And And if they were left behind this year, that doesn't mean they're going to be left behind next year. If you're an alternate this year, that means that you're going to be a contributor next year. And it's kind of just knowing what your role is and being the best at it and and really evolving as as a person and an athlete. So I think it's big to just talk about caring about each other. Yeah, and That's really just the basic principle yeah. of Humanity, right?
0: And I, even I mean, these are just little things to you, or maybe very typical for a collegiate sports. But just the fact that you get together at the beginning of the year and you get in a room and say, "All right, what are we thinking? Like, what do we want to do?" I mean, that goes a long way. Where it's easy to just sort of, "All right, when's our first meet?" Like, okay, now go run and get get healthy for that that first meet. Yeah, I. Yeah,
1: athletes don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Uh-huh. And I was lucky; I learned that early in my coaching career because I was at a place where we didn't have a ton of potential and talent, and really had to develop the kid and we started seeing success in the way we saw it was, Hey, I'm going to care about these kids and and let them know it's more than just running. And, And don't get me wrong. I'm one of the most competitive coaches in the NCAA and I do care about winning. And my kids know that, but they also know that we want to win the right way. It's what is really exciting about being at BYU. It's why I cherish my opportunity here because I know that we're, we're in a place where we can win the right way, where we can build people up. And it's more than just about their performances.
0: Yeah. That's cool. So I would imagine, I mean, depending on the meet, you have to decide as coach who's going to run in the meet and who's going to stay behind in the locker room, right? Yeah. I would imagine there's some disappointment from some girls who thought, oh man, I've really thought I would get there. And so how do you, one, go through that Go through that process, of making that decision, and then how do you go about delivering that news to the girl who's who was really expecting going but isn't?
1: Well, I know how important of a decision that is, and sometimes I wait until... I make a decision 24 hours before like I oh, was really? going to run. I have to be absolutely sure. And so sometimes if I'm not, I will wait. And they understand that I'm going to do, I'm always going to be loyal to the program and do what's in the best interest of the program. The good thing about our sport, it's not like playing time, right? It's not like who, who do I think is the best cornerback? No, it's times don't lie. Uh-huh. Numbers don't lie. And so workouts will say this. And, and I know based on past performances that this is a person that really rises up during high levels of pressure. And you kind of look at that. And, and sometimes it's always that last spot that is, is really tough. And that's always the spot that I'm making sure I'm making the right decision, but knock on wood up until now it has served us right. We always been like, okay, that was, that was the best decision. So it's not an easy. And I talk to the women. I, one thing I think is really important as a coach is to be really transparent with, with your athletes. So they always know what you're thinking, good, bad, ugly, whatever it is, they know what's going on in in my mind. And they know that I have to make these tough decisions that I don't enjoy necessarily making. Yeah, I've been on both ends of the spectrum. I was a really good division two athlete. So I had a ton of attention and all the travel opportunities. And I went on and ran for the Nike foreign team. And I wasn't one of the better runners on the team. We had a ton of Olympic hopefuls. And so I've, I've seen it from both sides. And I try to be sensitive to all abilities.
0: Yeah. It sounds like I mean a lot of times just the numbers make most of the decision for you. You know, who's running, you know, who's on their A game recently and maybe, you know, they'd they'd fit in well on this this next meet, whatever. But then there's all this those last few spots where you really have to make a tough talk call, right?
1: Yeah. And you have to like decide, okay, who has a little bit better potential currently, right now. And taking an opportunity away sometimes really affects someone's self-esteem. It's like, oh, she doesn't believe in me. And then that's not it at all. It's like, guys, I have nine spots and these are the nine yeah. You know and so really it, it really is about being transparent and and trying to make sure that that you're doing right by the program yeah.
0: and, and again I just love this principle of how you've named the the part of the team that's staying behind you know you're still in the locker room you're still there you're part of the team we need you you know pray for us encourage us send us text messages you know whatever it is and and that creates a, a good culture in that in that team overall. yeah they right. were
1: phenomenal this year hats off to them i those women I love those women and our team Loves those women, and it, they did a really good job of of being a part of it.
0: That's cool. I think in the article it said something about. Let me find it here. She's honest even when it's tough. What led to that uh, that principle, and and maybe dive into that.
1: I think trust is so important between the coach and the athlete. And sometimes to develop that trust, you have to be honest. And sometimes when you're honest, people don't always want to hear what the truth is. But I find so much value in the truth. It's like, hey, these are the areas we need to work on, and Earlier in my coaching career, I probably my delivery maybe wasn't the best. And still, I'm so passionate. So sometimes when things are really good, you're going to get that super excited passion. And then maybe when things aren't that good, you get that other passion, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, where it's uh-huh. not as excited. Like, what are you doing? But yeah, I'm always honest with them. And, and what I found is that transparency and that trust that has built when they they know when I say, hey, you can do this. I'm not one of those coaches that just tells every athlete they can do something they know that when i say it hey you're ready to do this they really are ready and it gives them a sense of just a source of confidence an extra level that like okay coach taylor thinks i can do it yeah. that means i can do it i'm just going to go out there and do it
0: yeah that's cool and and i would imagine that especially in our dynamic with you know volunteer leadership you, you just sort of want to be the encouraging coach you want to be the person that always has a positive thing to say you don't want to be the bad guy and so you can just sort of forget that the tough love part but as a coach, I mean that's that's crucial. So, any advice as far as how to deli- like how to really, or what does that even look like? I mean, do you approach a girl and say, "Hey, I've noticed you yeah, haven't been eating as well, and and that's affecting your time"? I mean, what what does well, that even look I, like?
1: I, I bring up one of my athletes, Anna Camp, who came in as a freshman, and. She always, she talks about this, which I didn't really know, but her freshman year, I was always getting after one of our upperclassmen at that time, Ashley Warner, because she just was at the brink of doing something great, but just didn't trust herself enough to like put her in a position to be successful in racing. And so I was always on Ashley Warner, like, come on, you can do this. And and so Anna Camp as a freshman would just sit there and go, ah, I wish coach Taylor would yell at me. Cause that means that she thinks <laughs> I could do something amazing, oh, interesting, but yeah. Anna wasn't just there quite yet uh-huh. within sophomore year. Anna got it like every I mean, her head was like under my arm almost after every indoor meet because I was just like, hey, you can do this. Well, fast forward last year, she runs 203 and is an All-American for us and leads our DMR off into first place at the national championships of indoor last year ends up being an amazing athlete. And she's one that that can take the tough love. You kind of have to know which one of your athletes can handle the tough love. Some Mm. it doesn't work for them. It's actually detrimental. And so I knew that it it worked for her. And she later had told me her whole freshman year, she was just waiting for that screaming voice after after a race. But um but yeah, I think it's important. It's part it's part of just coaching anyone, whether it's through life or or through running, is just being honest and transparent with them and letting them know things that they can do better or things they need to work on, but also letting them know things they do great. Dr. Manning that is our mental strength coach here at BYU talks a lot about two good things that you're doing and one thing you can improve on. Hmm. So that kind of makes it nice because it's like you're giving positive feedback, but then you're also including the things that maybe you could do a little better or put a little bit more attention on. And so that always, we're always in that growth mindset. If Mm -hmm. we're only thinking about the things that we're doing well, it's really just kind of a fixed mindset and there's not really opportunity to grow and improve. But even our athletes who are doing really well, I still want them to think of something that they take away that they could have maybe done a
0: little better. Yeah. And, and if that's something you're always asking them, like two, two great things, one that could use improvement, they're not feeling like, Hey, you know, why are you picking on me? You're asking me how I can improve. Like, are you saying I'm not good enough or whatever, but it's just part of that coaching, right?
1: Yeah. And I think sometimes depending on where they're at in their journey, they're going to feel really, really, really like they have a ton of things that they can put on that two things that they're doing well and not many things they can choose from, from areas of improvement. But at the beginning of their journey, it probably looks like there's a lot of things that they could improve on and maybe a couple of things that they feel like they're doing well. So it just kind of gets their mind thinking about things they can work on, but also giving them some positive feedback.
0: Yeah. And I appreciate when you said like, you have to just know some girls are going to respond really well to that tough love and others won't. And again, that goes back to establishing a strong relationship. So you know that, right. And you're not just guessing.
1: Yeah. And I, for me, my coaching just does come with tough love. And so once I feel like someone can't handle my tough love, it's like, okay, our relationship isn't strong enough. I need to build our relationship to be stronger so that we can have that tough love component. Cause I think it's a really important part of my coaching. And so, yeah, if I see someone that really can't handle it, I'm like, yeah. okay, I need to do a better job and we need to build our relationship.
0: Yeah. And this next question, this may be completely based on a false stereotype. And so I don't mean it in any way, but as far as when it comes to drama with girls, I, maybe as teenage girls, that is more, more of a thing. And maybe these girls are matured, you know, in their college years, not much of a thing. I mean, is there is there this drama component that you always have to be aware of and and handle? I mean, maybe two girls on the team suddenly have it out with each other and they just, you know, there's a, some conflict there. What are yeah, your thoughts it, on it, drama?
1: It would be really naive for me to think that there's not drama <laughs> okay. and there isn't little things that happen. I would be silly to sit here and say that our team culture is so great that we don't have that. What I like is that I think we're in a place where, yes, we have that drama, but we're able to handle it where it doesn't implode. And so, again, it's just building confident women and really teaching them to be happy for each other and really taking the comparison. I think the problem now with Instagram and, you know, yeah. all these social media tools is it's easy to compare ourselves to We just kind of growing up thinking of. We're always seeing someone else's highlight reel. And so it's easy to just be in that comparative mindset all the time. And so just kind of stepping away from that and teaching them that that's not really what it's about. And when you do that, it dilutes all of the other
0: uh, interesting. little stuff.
1: But yeah, women who hang out and train together and live <laughs> together and eat together and we're on the road together all the time. There's going to be times where you get on each other's nerves and you need a little bit of a break, even from your best friend. And and that's OK. Yeah. I validate those feelings like, Yep that's normal for you to feel that way. Uh-huh. Know, I never try to make them feel bad for being upset or feeling hurt by something someone said or the way someone's actions where it's like, no, I'm going to validate those feelings. You're entitled to feel that way. And yeah. and time heals everything, right? Yeah. Like they'll be best friends again next week.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because you, you also don't, I mean, you would never want them to feel like you did this thing, like you rea- re- reacted and in a dramatic way. And now the cohesion of the team's off, you know, but it's like, you know, you're normal, you're human, you feel that way and let's move forward.
1: Yeah. And even just with being competitive with each other, I'm not saying that our women aren't competitive with each other. We Mm -hmm. just try to not focus on that. They're athletes at a division one school. They're going to be competitive. They want to be the best in the country. And so obviously, if you want to be the best in the country, naturally, you're going to want to be the best on the team, but you have several athletes that are trying to be the best on the team. You're going to have that. But we try to do it in a healthy way, which is not breaking down someone else so that we're having success, but really just focusing on ourselves. And, and I validate them like, yes, it is normal for you to want to be the best Mm -hmm. and not shame them or make them feel guilty for thinking that way. And it's easy to do. It's like, Hey, no, no, you need to be a good teammate. Don't, it's not about who's number one. And, and yeah, the coaches can easily play that. I've done that in the past Uh and it's not it's not the most beneficial way for the team or the individual. So it's always about just validating their feelings and then normalizing. Yep. It's normal for you to feel that way. And this is what we're going to focus
0: on. Yeah. So going back to comparison, I would imagine, you know, I, 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 observe a lot of leaders, you know, especially in the church who are sort of petrified by that comparison dynamic. And to the point where this, let, let's not even recognize anybody. Cause we don't want anybody to compare like, Oh, why aren't they recognizing me? What have I done wrong? So how do you begin to, diminish, I mean, what actions do you take to really diminish that comparison component?
1: Well, I listened to a talk and I cannot quote who it was from, but it, it said comparison is the thief of joy. Uh-huh. And so we just use that all the time just to get it in their head. And, and the reason is you cannot go through life without people being recognized for the good that they do. Right. Yeah. And so th- that would be a disservice if I wasn't able to acknowledge some of the great things that are happening and some of the individuals that are doing really well in our program, but we need to do it in a way where it doesn't take anything away from others. And the only way you do that is by letting them know that it takes nothing away from your, someone else's success takes nothing away from your own. And I try to embody that even our men won a national championship, 10, 20, 30 minutes after we lost ours. Right. Oh, really? and, and we wow. weren't supposed to win, but like they won and I was excited. Um, and, in the guy who interviewed me for flow track said in one of my interviews, he thought I was going to say that it was really even harder to get second after mm-hmm. watching our men win. And I was like, no, that actually made it better. Like, okay, they won that. That feels good. And that that's a learned behavior. So it's naturally you want to do better, right? right? That's just how we are innately. Most of us especially in the arena of sports, you are naturally just more competitive. But I think recognizing, and I, I noticed it this year, I have a lot of female friends or colleagues that are also coaches really happy for their success. I'm always rooting for them. Mm-hmm. And I want my women to see that. And this year with us being successful, we had a lot of those same female coaches that were rooting for us. Mm-hmm. And so I think I think it was an example, like, yes, what you throw out into the world definitely comes back in support for yourself. Yeah. So I always try to be that example
0: yeah. of let's be happy for others. Yeah. Cause the girls are watching you seeing how you root for Stanford or whoever yeah. else is. The, definitely not Stanford, your, but okay, sorry,
1: yeah, no, I think that it, and it, we're all, trust me. Like I said, I'm one of the most competitive. I want right. to be the best, but I don't, I want to do it the right way. Yeah. And I want to acknowledge the efforts of others. And so, yeah, Arkansas won the national title and I was happy for those women.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and that's another component, like being happy for others, but also showing that you're still really competitive. And that's where the drive of the athlete comes is from that competition. Yeah.
1: And seeing our sport is so unique. If you look at a, a finish line, when women are done competing, they are all embracing each other. They know the dark place that they have just went to. In that race, and they acknowledge the efforts of, of other women going to that dark place as well. And so, there can be sportsmanship, and you can still be competitive. And our women, our women do a really good job of of being good competitors.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. You know, one thing that's uh, very common in our in our church is these one to one interviews with, uh, you know, we call them ministering interviews at times where we have to sit down with someone we lead and. You know, there's accountability in there, but really connection, and and sometimes that get awkward or really short, like, oh, how are you doing? Very good. All right. Well, I guess we're done here, right? Any advice as far as like sitting down with somebody one to one, someone you lead, and uh, what are steps you take to really connect and build that relationship?
1: Time is definitely the most important thing. So I look at these freshmen that I've brought in, and they tell me we can't wait to have the same relationship with you that some of these older girls have who've who've been on a journey with me for yeah. the last couple of years. And, and that happens through time. And so you're not going to know everything about someone the first time you meet them, that connection takes time. And so it's going to be effort on both sides And, and both sides being vulnerable. That's something that I think as a society, we're so scared to do. And even myself, I'm so private about a lot of things. And I've learned that through vulnerability comes trust and strength and courage and growth. And so we have to be vulnerable. And when you're in these meetings, if you're the one leading them, you yourself have to be a little vulnerable in order Mm -hmm. to, to get that trust.
0: Yeah. And is that vulnerability like maybe something you're going through at the time or what you went through as an athlete or.
1: Yeah. Just relating your own experiences. I talk a lot about my personal life with, with the athletes. They know everything that I'm going through Uh Um, with motherhood, with being a wife, with trying to balance it all. Um, I'm really open about that. And I hope that they take that and, and realize like, oh, okay, she's not going to judge us. She's also had some hardships that she's went through. And so, yeah, I think that it just creates, it creates, helps to create trust and also just comfort and courage. They can't coexist, right? They can't grow mm-hmm. at the same time. And so sometimes we have to get out of our comfort zone and, and be a little bit courageous. And so I do that too. Again, it's not like I'm spilling everything that's happening in my life, <laughs> yeah. but, but I will share things and especially being a coach now, I think in my 14th season. I've experienced a lot of things with different athletes. And so I can share some of the wisdom that I've learned through those experiences with with the women now.
0: Yeah. What about with, as far as being vulnerable when you make a mistake as a coach? I mean, does that, is that part of that vulnerability that you, and, and how do you go about admitting to the team, hey, I messed up here, or this is my fault? or.
1: Yeah. I mean, my first year here, we experienced a ton of injuries and it just blew me out of the water. I came from a, an area in the Central Valley where we trained on dirt all the time. And I only really dealt with one stress fracture my entire nine years of coaching with athletes, which is unheard of. And the first year or two here, it was somebody was always getting hurt. And part of that is just being a division one athlete. You'll see it amongst, uh, women and, you know, all around the nation. But I really had to take a step back and look at different ways of what can we do to still gain strength and to gra- gain aerobic capacity and, and get stronger and fitter, but not break down our bones. Cause that was something that was happening. We've been really lucky that. Our women tend to do really well at national championships, so I haven't had to tweak too much of the training aspect of it. But yeah, I make mistakes all the time, and you just learn from them and and try to grow and be like, okay, well, we're not going to do that again.
0: Yeah, and that's I I can imagine some collegiate coaches that are just trying to wear that like the really rough skin and, and you know saying I'm you know I know how this works and listen to me and I don't make a mistake. I mean, not that they say that, but that it's it's maybe when you build those relationships, it's helpful.
1: Yeah, I think it's easy to have a one-size-fits-all approach to coaching. It makes it a lot simpler, but I realized that that does not work and every athlete has a number of miles that they need to run that's different than someone else's. Every athlete can handle a different workload. Every athlete has different needs, nutritional needs, and you just kind of have to know what works for each of these Mm -hmm. athletes and different type of confidence that they need instilled in them and just kind of knowing what their individual plan is. So it's not the same They all cross-train a different number of hours. They they do all these different things, and it's really just trying to find out what works for them. But if I would have just went with the, this is what we're going to do, and you're going to run this many miles, I mean, it it was, it didn't work for us. And so I just had to kind of figure out through trial and error, lots of error, what we can do. And sometimes the athletes, they want to do more. Their lungs always want more, but their bodies can't handle it. So really had to just emphasize like, guys, no, you have to trust me on this one. This Uh is all we're going to run. And when they when they bought in, they kind of saw, okay, I can do a little bit less and end up being healthy and have a better experience and actually contribute more. Then they all just jump on board. But every single one of the women here have a different. Not one of them is doing the exact same thing.
0: Yeah. Wow, that's really helpful. And before we wrap up, but any other major component of your coaching that we haven't touched on, like that you feel like is a pillar in your in your approach to being a leader?
1: No, just reemphasizing again, just empowering women. I think that that's that's the biggest part of it. And again, I'm a little vulnerable in sharing like all of these things that I do because part of me feels like, well, this is unique to us and this is what makes us great at BYU and putting it out there. You know, (laughs) it's, it has been a little bit tough, but I think there's importance of sharing it. And it's, it's been the the best kept secret is just empower your women and believe in them and embrace their dreams to be your own. And yeah, they'll come true.
0: Cool. Uh, One of my last questions is, is, it's more of a just a fun question. As far as like, because uh, uh, we're always looking for activities for youth, you know, and uh, especially with the uh, young women, it's sort of like, okay, can we stop the quilting and the, the crafts? I mean, can we do something else, right? And maybe we, we will go on a hike or boating or whatever. What would you say, say if we're looking for a great running activity? I mean, what, what would you do or ath- athletic activity for young women? What would you say if you had... 14, 15, 16 year olds. Oh, uh, I think it'd be activity. so
1: fun for that age group to sign up for like a local 5k hmm. or a 10k and put together a little training group where they meet once or twice and go on some runs and physical activity is so important. And yeah. I think we're losing it with some of our youth that all of yeah. these video games and technology, yeah. and you just get busy with life and you forget to take that 30 minutes a day for yourself to just sweat. And you know, that I think that that would be fun sign up yeah. for a local 5k and, and do it as a group and, and support each other. And through that as they train and build for that and then set a goal. Like, okay, I want to run 21 minutes or seven minute miles and just try to like accomplish that. And I think that that, I'm not saying quilting isn't fun. I think that there can be sure. some or
0: scrapbooking, yeah, or scrapbooking or <laughs> is great. Making um, cards, right? Yeah. All
1: of that stuff. But I think uh when you really have a goal that's tangible and then you put some work towards it and you're doing it together with a bunch of other 14 to 16 year olds girls, I think that 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 can be something yeah. fun and memorable.
0: Yeah, especially the, you know, bringing competition into it, you know, and there's seems like there's a 5K somewhere every week. Like you can there's, Yeah, there's a ton of uh, them. Yeah, they're not hard to find, right? Awesome. Well last question I have well I, I guess is there any um any shout out or place you would want people to follow the the team and what they're doing? And where if people want to follow the the girls, the ladies cross country team where would you send them?
1: Yeah we have a Twitter account that that is BYU uh cross country and track and field. I have my own BYU. Well, I have my own personal Instagram where I try to post a ton of things. um, And it's again, it's private and I'm debating how I'm going to navigate all that. But yeah, I've got like that. And just, um, we have a BYU women's distance Instagram too. I'm trying to do a better job of like putting stuff out there, but I think just through those social media outlets and just following us and kind of seeing what our success ends up being the, the next, however long, but yeah, those are some of the ways to get involved. We have a cross country camp that is for young kids in the summertime, we have three weeks that is kind of a little bit of a combination EFY slash cross country. And I think it's really fun. We have a couple hundred kids that come to that for three different sessions. So if people are interested in running or sending their kid to camp, but I do think that it's really important to, to get active and and set goals, whatever they may be, be passionate about something. It makes life a lot more enjoyable.
0: Yeah. And BYU sports is always known to travel really well since we have, you know, fans everywhere. And so I would imagine if uh, they, take a peek at the schedule next season and, and show oh, up at, it. at different meets. Yeah.
1: Every meet's a home meet. Yeah. You know, we always have people. I'm like, Oh, whose parents are you guys? Yeah, like, No, you guys are here in <laughs> Iowa and we just decided to come because we live here. Yeah, so that's yeah, cool. it's really neat.
0: Awesome. Now you talk about, you have similar values to BYU. You're a Christian, I assume. Is that?
1: Yeah. I grew up as a Sikh. So oh, my wow. parents, yeah, from India and just very similar values and standards. I grew up really, really strict and yeah, wasn't allowed to do a lot of things as as a young woman or young girl growing uh-huh. up, and so yeah, I I can relate to the culture
0: nice. in a lot of ways. So, how has uh, these last four years and and really coaching in general just made you um, made you a better leader?
1: Because every day I have to ask myself, did I empower someone today? It's my daily check, and and that makes me that makes me force myself to be a better leader because that's what leadership is. It's empowering those around you, and so. So, yeah. And this place makes me want to be better. That's why I love it because there's always room for growth. And yeah. Um, yeah, it's a good, it's a good place to be.
0: That concludes my interview with Diljeet Taylor. Good luck to to her and the running Cougars. I don't know if that's what they call them, the running Cougars of the women's uh, cross-country team. I hope, I, I have no doubt in the next few years, I think we're going to hear about them on the podium as national champions. And that is so cool, especially as a Diehard BYU fan. That is so cool. Anytime, any uh, sporting team at BYU win, wins it all. So uh, I'm rooting for him. I hope you are too. Really fantastic conversation. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did, and hopefully you can see how valuable this is for a young women's leader to hear, a YSA leader to hear, and they don't even have to be you know those that work with young men or young women. So share this. Would you think of a young men or young women leader that you could? Put this link into an email and send it their way, or maybe send it to your whole ward council and say, let's talk about some of these principles, how we can implement them in our our leadership. But really inspiring stuff, and uh, I'd be interested if you know anybody else that I should interview. So go to leadingsaints.org slash contact and let me know. It'd be fun to hear. And remember, text the word LEAD to 474747 and join the core leader community today.